I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And we are in the last episode of a series we've been doing for a a number of weeks now, taking a look at transition, in particular transition in ministry life. And we've talked a little bit about what it's like from a pastor's vantage point, as each one of us get to wear pastor hats, uh, about what it's like to deal with transition uh, in ministry in our various settings and traditions. We've talked a little bit about uh, what the process is like from congregational standpoints. And we've also talked a little bit about uh, how all of our lives involve comings and goings and transitions. Um, so w- where, where are we going for our conversation today? Well, today, the day that this episode is airing, uh, we are now starting Holy Week. That week that leads up to Good Friday and the day we remember Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and then concluding on Easter Sunday when Jesus raises arises from the dead, you know, is resurrected. And so we wanted to, t- to move this conversation into how is Holy Week, Lent, Easter, how are those seasons of transition? I'm, I'm glad that we're taking the time to, to talk like this in, in it for a couple of reasons. One, I think like when, when we go through the, the rhythm every year of talking about um, death and resurrection and the cross um, and the move to Easter Sunday, um, I'm not sure we often take the time to, to like sit with that idea of this is about a change not just for Jesus, but for the community of Jesus living through the change in how they relate to him. Um, so we're so quick to, like, we focus on Jesus' death is for the salvation of the world. Like, we forget that there's a lot of grief and and letting go and moving on to new things that are a part of that story. And Jesus in the Gospels is preparing his disciples for that, you know, pretty early on. That And, and certainly in the upper room, there's lots of conversation of, I'm going to be leaving. It's going to be okay. The Holy Spirit will be with you you and the disciples don't get it so it sort of feels like it's wasted conversation but there's a lot of that going on in the gospels that we may or may not actually be attuned to because we're so quick to be uh doing churchy good friday things or getting ready for easter egg hunts that we sort of forget how much about transition is going on in this in this moment of the biblical story and i think that with our own society's uncomfortableness with death that we have a tendency to skip over Good Friday yeah, and go straight to Easter. It, it's a little bit like, oh, yes, Jesus died, but don't worry. He'll be back in just two and a half days. And, and I think that is, I think that's very problematic because you can't have resurrection without death. Yeah. And for his disciples, like, it was really hard to hold on to that hope that Jesus said that he would be back because like, what does that even mean? It's not like they've seen a whole lot of resurrection. They have seen some, you know, there was Lazarus, but you know, it's, they they saw him die. They saw, you know, him being nailed to a cross. They saw somebody take a spear and like stab him with, you know, in between the ribs. So like they saw him die. And to then expect him in two days to just kind of pop back out of the tomb and go, hey, guys, what's up? Like, 
that's that's a big, big, big leap of faith. So I think we need to dwell in that Good Friday moment for a while. Well, and Sarah, you mentioned Lazarus and you know the disciples saw Lazarus, you know, well, they didn't see him die, but I mean, he had been dead, but it was Jesus that brought him back. Mm-hmm. Now this is Jesus dying. Like who, who's going to bring back Jesus? Right, right, right. He's the one that has brought back other people to life, but now who's going to bring Jesus back to life? Um, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be one of the disciples not knowing yeah. that Easter is coming. Like Jesus has talked to them about it and has told them about it. But, you know, to sit in that and be like, okay, what did it, what exactly did he mean? Right, right, right. Well, and, and it, like, like you point out in the Lazarus story, the driving thing that makes resurrection possible is Jesus' presence. And Mary and Martha both say to Jesus before he raises Lazarus, if you were here, you could have fixed things. Like that seems to be, well, if Jesus is here, that would solve mm-hmm. it. But the very problem of Good Friday is Jesus isn't here now. So what do we do now? Can we, can we move on? Can, can there be hope on the other side of it? Um, and and I guess I think too one of the difficulties that I, I think we struggle with uh, along the lines of what what you said, Sarah, about that we we aren't good at just living in Good Friday and dealing with with death by itself or the death of Jesus, is we can be so quick to um, call Good Friday good like we like we, we we can stop like and i get it i yeah there's a sense in which this is redemptive for the world that's why we call it good friday but like th- there's an ambiguity there's an ambiguity and an ambivalence that like it is both a tragic thing that the powers of the world kill jesus it is a tragic thing that human sin is responsible for the death of the son of god and at the same time this becomes redemptive and i think sometimes we pick it like it's an either or like it's either oh what a tragedy jesus died or hooray it's the salvation of the world when the i think the gospels do a better job of saying it's a both and that it is both horrible and awful that um that human beings would crucify the son of God. And yet God uses this terrible thing and, and makes it into the redemption of the world. But that, that both and this, I think is important, especially as we think about transition in our own lives. And instead of only, you know, like glossing over the sad part and no, but it's, it's only good. It's all good. We only talk about the good part. Mm -hmm. We, we, we lose something that's important. We need to be able to voice. There are things that are sad, that are regrettable, that are terrible. Um, and when we talk about transition in our own lives, um, you know, the, the, a change of job, a move to a new place, a, a transition in, in ministry or changes in our church life, for whatever good things, it's worth also naming there is grief to it. And again, we're not great at that as, as a culture. Well, and speaking of grief, just true like grief of a death of a loved one, you know, so often you know, I, I hear it at funerals. I hear people try, trying to comfort the family left behind by saying, well, they're in a better place and all, all these things. They want to push through the bad part and, and right. just get to the point that, well, their body has been resurrected. They're with Jesus now. Like, no, we need to sit in the grief. Right. Um, you know, not just on Good Friday, but, you know, any sort of transition, we need to be able to sit in that grief and, and really mourn whatever losses there are. Well, also realizing that there can be celebrations. Right, right. Yeah, it's. I, I think we're, we, we're so uncomfortable with that grief. We look for mm-hmm. that silver lining. We look <clears> for, <throat> you know, we always hear, do you want the good news or the bad news first? So, <laughs> right. Like when you hear the bad news, you then know that there's also good news. But occasionally, like the death of a loved one, 
there isn't necessarily that good thing, that mm-hmm. good news, yeah. that good side. I mean, there is of like, yes, they are with God now. And that is good news. But also at the same time, like, I think we need to just sit with that loss. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. But they're also <clears throat> not here with me. And I would like mm-hmm. them to be here with me. Or, you know, yes, they're not in pain anymore, but I still miss them. Like, yeah. I still want them here in my life. And, uh, and again, that just goes back to, as 21st century Americans, we are not good at grieving. Mm-hmm. We are yeah. not good about talking about death. Like, those are just not skills that our society has. Right. And and it, it feels to me like sometimes we treat that good news and bad news as though they are separate realities. When I think sometimes it's the 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 difficult thing is the thing that is good for somebody else. Good there with Jesus is also the thing that is bad news for me. So not treating mm-hmm. it like these are separate things, but the thing that I, I can be I can be grateful that the person is not suffering. I can be grateful that the person who has died is uh, yeah in the presence of God. Uh, and yet it is that very absence that makes it hard for me. And to name that, I, I think is important. Instead of saying only focus on the good, this is one of those places where when you're talking about grief or transition, the thing that is good for another person sometimes also causes pain. And I, I guess I even think maybe thinking about it as good and bad is, is a little bit uh, oversimplifying because it's, it's more like part of what love means is, the, is when, when, when somebody leaves your life and you're sad about it, that's a sign that there's a connection that mattered. You know, like the, the people who are total strangers to me when they die, uh, I, in some broad sense, I'm, I'm sorry about death, but like, the people who matter most part of how you know they matter is that when they are no longer with you that it hurt and that seems to be a part of how how the nature of human relationship how love works so so this conversation is reminding me a lot of pixar's inside out which is is the story Mm -hmm. of this this young girl transitioning from childhood emotions to the more complex adult emotions yeah which you know, like, so Inside Out, if you don't know the premise, like, it's this girl, Riley, and she's moving from, like, Minnesota to San Francisco, right at that, like, cusp of adolescence, and you can see inside her brain where her five primary emotions, which, by the way, we have more emotions than just five, but <laughs> five primary emotions, like, joy, sadness, disgust, anger, fear, I think might be the fifth one, Yeah, um, how they control her her like brain and it's them learning this complex emotions of suddenly like two of them can touch a memory at the same time and both affect it um like joy and sadness can both be present at the same time and um that that is just part of being a more complex emotional human being um and I think that that is definitely true in the case of say good Friday of that, that deep sadness of loss of grief, but also that joy of knowing that, well, because of Jesus's death, I am forgiven. Mm -hmm. I've been read. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that recognition that a thing can be both joyful and sad and have beautiful things and terrible things at the same time, that's, that's something we're not always comfortable with, especially uh, if our approach to faith 
always wants to sort everything into, is it good or evil? Is this a positive or negative? And it, it seems to me like mature faith is able to say there's some things that are entirely good or entirely bad, but there's a lot of stuff in life that's a lot more that sort of mixed bag that has a bittersweetness to it or uh, a paradoxical both and at the same time. And the ability to recognize that, that uh, there are shades of gray uh, in, in, in those kind of things, even down to Good Friday and Easter Sunday being both joyful and sorrowful. That, that seems an important thing for us to acknowledge that, that it doesn't make it easier maybe to deal with the grief, but it makes it more honest that like we actually deal with it instead of sweeping it under a rug or pretending it's not there. I, I saw a line uh, on social media not long ago. I think it was a, a, a tweet of Lenny Duncan's, who's a, a, a black Lutheran pastor out on the West Coast. Um, and the, 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 insight of his that, that sticks with me he said something like um jesus didn't have to die in the same way that emmett till didn't have to die um and like there's this like it was you know so, something terrible happened to emmett till that was caused because human beings uh you know wanted to kill that which was other you know there, there's this terrible gruesome murder of this black boy um you know 50 years ago um and the, in in a sense like that contingency that like jesus even in the gospels will say things like you know um that he 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 would be willing for the people to receive him but they were not willing that you know that he he remains open to being received um but the 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 Religious people, the, you know, the power of people reject Jesus. And in that sense, it didn't have to happen, even though some other parts of our theology go, but this is necessary for the salvation of the world. There's that sort of contingency of um, it, it. It's it's terrible that it had to happen. And it, 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 I guess that that tension is something I, I've found really helpful and, and uh, thought thought provoking for me. I even want to maybe ask you if if we can we can think a little bit about the 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 flip side of that bittersweetness that there's also a certain bittersweetness in Easter and again I know that's an unpopular opinion because after Good Friday everybody wants to be nothing but pastels and chocolates for Easter Sunday and everything's great and sing our alleluias and all that again um but like to hear the stories of those early resurrection appearances, there is a lot of that sort of commingled fear and joy and doubt and faith, and that it's not either or there either. And part of what seems scary to the early followers of Jesus is even once he's alive again, there's an awareness it's different somehow. It's not exact. It's, it's not going back to normal. It's a new normal. Um, and boy, if that isn't the point of grief I've heard people deal with in the pandemic these days, you know, like there's there, I think we're all going through that. How much of the world in the before times is going to come back? How much will be different? And how do I let go of whatever preconceived, you know, pre pre uh, conceived assumptions I have about what things have to be like that. That's a, that's another piece of grief, even when a new thing is beginning. Yeah, for sure. Because, um, I imagine that when Jesus was talking about his resurrection and then when he was raised, like he was alive again, I, I imagine that a lot of his disciples and close friends and family thought that, oh, Jesus is back. It's going to go back to normal. We're going to continue wandering the countryside with him. He's going to continue to preach and teach and heal. And it's going to go back to the way it was. And then Jesus continues to come in and like stop in and like talk to them and to continue to teach them and prepare them to like 
take over the mantle and to continue to do his work in the world. But he never stayed. You know, he would he would come in the locked room. He would like show them his his hands and his feet and say, yes, it is me. And then he went away again. And then he went and had breakfast with them on the shore. And but then he went away again. <laughs> like he didn't he didn't stay. He didn't continue to do the things that they probably hoped that he would do, which is continue walking around the countryside with them and teaching and preaching and healing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that recognition that, that on the other side of death, when resurrection happens, it brings forth something new, not just a return to some past moment that that's a difficult learning for all of us. I mean, I think there's something in, in maybe hardwired into us that just likes the familiarity of what we want to imagine was the good old days. And, you know, we do this in all kinds of ways. We imagine the church was great in some previous era when that was, that was the golden age, or we imagine society back boy, back then, if we could only get it to be like that and make it like that again, um, which is not only impossible, um, but like sometimes when you go back or if, if you could re-experience it, you'd discover things weren't really as good as we imagined or remembered um, and that we need to be able to move into to forward thinking things. I mean, like the, the, the recurring image the churches often use about death and resurrection is the caterpillar that goes into the chrysalis and becomes the butterfly. And like, I'm not sure what butterfly thought process is like, but my guess is that they're not going like, man, I wish I could be not flying and crawling around eating leaves. I bet they're like, like somehow you are more fully alive when you're a butterfly, that it, it's great that you were what you were, but now that there's this other, I, I guess I feel like that that's the, the, the good Friday to Easter transition is in this new thing. There's some things you don't do anymore. We, uh, you know, on the other side of, of, of good Friday, the church doesn't do some of the things that Jesus had done before, but they find new things, new ways of gathering. And, and it becomes this whole new creation that now reaches out to include non-Jewish people and outsiders and women, you know, become much more prominent in leadership, um, in ways that maybe they had not been, um, in, in uh, Jesus' uh, prior ministry when the women are, are there but don't get the headlines that uh, the other 12 do. And yet they do come to prominence after the resurrection. Um, like some the, those, those changes need to be named, but a lot of them are good, but other things come to an end. Uh, can, can, I, can I ask uh, for, for each of you, like, um, do you ever have the challenge as people who retell this story of death and resurrection, not only every year, you know, in, in, in Lent to Easter, but in some sense, it's part of like every time Christians gather, do you find yourself struggling with like, how do I talk about this in a new way? Um, or are there times where um, the, the, the familiarity of how the plot goes is, is uh, a good thing. Or are, are there, are there ways that like you, you, deal with this 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 dynamic this story in our faith differently than say other bible passages or stories that might uh be a part of your preaching or teaching much more sp sporadically or infrequently like does does the familiarity of this death to resurrection thing is it is it a hindrance is it a is it a, a comfort is it a strength how, how do you how do you deal with with that all of I, the above it's <laughs> <laughs> um, really hard to resist that whole like it needs to be new. Like mm -hmm. I need to say something different. You know, like the story is what the story is. Like 
the, the story should be on Jesus died for us and then Jesus was resurrected. Do I need to really say a whole lot more? Like mm-hmm. that is the point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I agree, Sarah, like, you know, it, it is the story and we don't need to recreate the story. It's just, for me, sometimes I struggle with how to tell it in a new way not to change the story, but just to like get that across maybe in a new and different way. Um, but I, I always find that things come together at some point during Holy Week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, some sort of inspiration comes along and I am able to tell this story again and make it exciting again because I know most of the folks in my congregation, they have heard this story probably for more years than I've been alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we need to hear the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to hear it over and over and over again. Um, you had mentioned just in talking about how you put all that together, the role of the Holy Spirit. And I, I wonder if that's a piece for, for um, the, the, early church as they lived through death and resurrection that seems to be part of that old and yet new transition like in one sense jesus isn't there the way he was and like like you said a minute ago sarah the the disciples probably wanted oh good we're gonna go back to those walking tours and fishing trips and miracles and things like that and after a period of time those come to an end and jesus has if if you read the gospel jesus has been preparing his disciples for this that's gonna come to an end but I'll still somehow be with you in the presence of this Holy Spirit, that somehow God remains with them. Um, and, you know, later theology will sort of diagram and spell out exactly what, what they think that looks like or means. But that even relating to God differently through the Spirit is one of those, um, honestly, it's, it's, it's bittersweet. There's like, it would be nice to have Jesus in the room that you could hold and touch and see. And yet somehow uh, there's, there's something good in this presence of the spirit who can be present with all of us at all the same time. Not just, I mean, Jesus can be only in one building in one room in one place at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this universality of the spirit seems an important, but, but it's, it's, again, it's a thing to acknowledge the letting go of the old and okay, this is how things are going to be now that, that, uh, maybe it's important to name and what the new normal looks like. Well, Sarah, you mentioned how when Jesus starts appearing after the resurrection, you know, he comes and he goes, he comes and he goes, you know, that's all preparing his disciples for the day, you know, for Ascension day when he goes and doesn't come and still hasn't come back. You know, although we have the promise that he'll come back. We have the promise that he'll come back, but the disciples thought that was going to happen in their lifetime. And we are now 2000 years later. Right. <laughs> still waiting. Yep. Still waiting. Anytime now, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, Sarah, if you had the same professor that I did uh, when, when we were both at, at seminary in different years, but there's a professor uh, I had for New Testament who used to occasionally say that um, in the Sunday liturgy, when the c- congregation all says, amen, come Lord Jesus, he would look out the window. Um, <laughs> And he would usually, after he would tell that anecdote, would stop and say, I realize it's a little bit egocentric to imagine Jesus will appear where I'm looking and that, you know, like, I'll be the one to notice him. And why would it be, you know, in the place that I happen to live? Um, but, like, there's something about like that. Yeah, we, we, we've been we've been waiting. Um, 
and that's that's I think part of the, the difficulty too is that yeah the 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 New Testament sure makes it seem like everybody's expecting any day now. And at some point the church had to live with, oh, this is a marathon, not a sprint, um, which again feels very pandemic-y to me. Like, you know, th- th- it feels mm-hmm. like that that dynamic is something we need to name too. Um, sometimes our wish for getting through transition is, all right, it'll be over quick and then back to normal we go. And sometimes the duration of the transition itself is a lot longer than we anticipated. And the new thing that comes on the other side uh, then doesn't quite look like what we imagined too. But the, the, the waiting for Jesus is a, is a difficult part of this story that uh, even though he's alive again, hooray, there's also that, but the thing we were really waiting for, we're still waiting for. Yeah. And I, and I think we need to talk about that waiting more because I think a lot of us, myself included, we're no longer actually anticipating Jesus's return, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, it used to be that, oh, yes, Paul was saying, don't get married, because what's the point? Because Jesus is going to be here anytime now. Um, we all still get married. We still buy houses. We still have children. We still continue doing normal life things it's not like we're like "Mm, is it worth doing this major (laughs) life thing because jesus could be back at any time now no we still continue doing still doing life being alive yeah and and i think if most of us are being honest do we really want jesus to come back tomorrow and to disrupt (laughs) that life that we have built like that, I, think. I struggle with that of like, no, I, I kind of want to watch my boys grow older and grow <laughs> up to become actual human beings I can have conversations with. Like if Jesus were to come back tomorrow and disrupt that, I might be a little bit angry. The, I, I think this is one of the real tensions because like you're right on the one hand, the early church had to live with that too. Like, of, like, like you say of at some point realizing, oh, we thought he was coming tomorrow okay, but we do need to make plans for, you know, next winter. Should we, should we plant crops for next year? Yeah, we should. Um, but yeah, it, it can be so easy then to be so invested in the plans we make in life that we stop that sort of hopeful anticipation. It, it, it's weird to say we're asked to live in that tension of holding both at the same time. And maybe that's like the easy Lutheran cop-out is hold them both in tension. Um, but yeah, this is a place where we need to hold it in in intention like i i think there's a similar dynamic in the in the hebrew scriptures when uh, israel goes through the experience of exile that there are voices at the beginning like it's going to be two weeks and then we're going to go back home i mean sort of like the pandemic it'll be over real fast no big deal not a thing it's it's not a real problem babylon's not gonna you know and there were some who said babylon won't even bother us at all it's nothing uh and it turns out to be not only real but then you get prophets like jeremiah who say Hey, you who went into exile, this is going to be a while. You got to build lives and pray for the well-being of the city where you live and raise kids and, you know, uh, you know, let them get married, let them grow up. And at the same time, have this hope of, but there will be more to the story. God will bring, uh, you know, a, a return from exile. There will be homecoming. But that's a difficult tension to live in. And nobody who went into exile um, 
had the skills or or life experience to deal with okay 70 years of of life now are going to happen holding those those intention and i think that's that's a difficult it's it's hard to live in that in between space that liminal place for so long and it's hard still to hold on to hope that there can be something on the other side of it too i think that's maybe why we need easter this year <laughs> more than than at least in my lifetime yeah yeah with the pandemic and everything i know like for my church, we shut down two, two or three weeks before Easter last year and did Easter virtually, you know, and when we shut down, we were like, oh, we'll be back for Palm Sunday, maybe Easter Sunday. Right. No, we didn't get to back until June, you know, and we had another shutdown in December. Like we are in that liminal, you know, both and waiting tension. And I, I think Easter is going to be a, blessing to us this year in ways that we may have never realized before yeah because of the transition it speaks of i remember last year having those conversations of like are we going to do holy week and easter or are we just going to wait until when we can open back up Mm -hmm. you know it'll just be a couple weeks late and it'll be fine and um at the last minute, kind of having to make that decision and scramble and go, okay, we're going to do this all virtually, but then we're going to have Easter again, like <laughs> maybe uh-huh. in a couple of months, like when we can all gather together, we'll, you know, we'll have Easter like in June maybe, and we'll be able to hug and like dance and celebrate. And, and, and then like you said, Erica, that, that never really happened. And yeah. Now, here we are a year later, one of my congregations is still virtual, like they are trying to wait until the vaccine is more widely available in our county um, before they go back to in-person. And so now it's like, well, do we go back to in-person for this Easter? Because we weren't able to gather together in person for Christmas. And we're now having that conversation again of like, hey, let's have Christmas in July. And, and again, it's yeah. one of those like trying to have those moments when we can, yeah. when we can't. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think too of the those years in exile. Like, what was it like to remember and celebrate things when you couldn't go to temple, but to still celebrate Passover? Or like, and they had to. They mm-hmm. had to, or, you know. The, and and for that matter, you know, in in more recent history, during say World War II, Christians had to go through having Christmas while the war was on or having Easter and also keeping your lights off because of the blitz and you didn't want the, you know, the German warplanes, uh, you know, bomb your house. Um, and, and so, so we've done things like that before. Um, but it's, it's uncomfortable if you live with like this myth, you tell yourself of being invulnerable, that nothing will change. And you've got this sort of comfortable life. It's difficult discovering your life is vulnerable to big changes that, that, of things that happen in the world. Um, and that I, I think that's, that's a, a difficult thing for all of us, but like to remember, Oh, other, other people in the, the people of God have lived through moments like this before that can be helpful for us navigating the new, the new circumstances. So speaking of new circumstances, I know hey. that we've talked about this off and on throughout this whole series that this the series was in part inspired by the fact that my family is going through a huge transition of changing calls and moving. 
Um, so now that we've finished this series, um, I do want to reassure everybody that Crazy Faith Talk is going to continue, that this isn't the end of Crazy Faith Talk. Um, I am moving away um, to the other side of the state from Steve and Erica, closer to Philly as opposed to Pittsburgh. Um, but I am also going to continue with Crazy Faith Talk because the joys of the pandemic, one of those silver linings is that we have all learned how to use certain technologies like Zoom, which will allow us to continue to be together even if we aren't in the same room. Um, I might miss out on a recording or two as we transition from the house we're currently living in at the time of this recording to the house that we will be living in at the time that this recording is broadcast. But, um, but yeah, Crazy Fate Talk will continue just in slightly different ways. So uh, thank you for, for sharing that with everybody, Sarah, and thanks for your willingness for the adventure to continue as we move on to new adventures. Um, when when we gather next for next week's episode of Crazy Faith Talk, we will have come through that great transition of Holy Week from death to resurrection, and uh, we'll be saying the A word again uh, and saying our, our alleluia. <laughs> oh, I said it. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll be celebrating again uh, that that that. Uh, joyful piece of good news in whatever the next series that we'll be doing together is. Uh, but uh, when we're all together again, it will have been recording virtually uh, from different locations on God's green earth. But uh, thank you all for being a part of this series. And thanks to Sarah and to Erica too, for your participation in, in uh, this important conversation today. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you all. Bye.